0: Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be discussing Annabelle Creation, The Nut Job 2, Nutty by Nature, and The Glass Castle. Let's get started. i've been open about how much i don't really care for the conjuring series the con artist series is how i referred to it when i went in to see this latest one because they try to pull it off as like based on a true story but the people that they're talking about the i forget what their who i forget their actual name uh but, you know, the actual paranormal investigator... I mean, right off the bat, paranormal investigators should tell you that these people are con artists. They're not really... They're investigating something that doesn't actually exist. Uh, the Warrens. And when you look into their, um... You know, when you look into the actual history of the Warrens, that, yeah, they are. They are straight-up con, con artists. And to try and play off a movie series where they're somehow the heroes... Is really disingenuous, so I've never really been a fan of the series. And the and really the only thing that was semi watchable, that was a decent enough horror movie, was the first movie. The sequel was a was a, was laugh out loud terrible, and so was Annabelle. Annabelle was just unwatchable. And for those who aren't aware in within the universe, uh, Annabelle was a haunted doll. You know, it's a haunted doll. watched. Um, for for her because she was a demon spirit that that took over a Raggedy Ann doll. For those who don't know, the actual Annabelle doll is not the porcelain doll that we see in these movies. It was a freaking Raggedy Ann. Like, duh. Come on. Don't try to play me off like Raggedy Ann is out to kill me. What do you think I am, stupid? Uh and so we've kind of somehow managed to turn that into one of my least favorite tropes in a lot of horror movies. Ooh, turn of the century is all creepy looking. Ooh. Try harder. Try harder. Actually scare me. You can't Make something look creepy and be like, ooh, isn't that scary? Look at the creepy thing, isn't it scary? No. You know what's actually scary? (laughs) Going back to uh, Jordan Peele's directorial debut in Get Out. That's scary. The idea of of taking your body and replacing it with somebody else's brain and consciousness. That part's scary. Things like that. Are scary. You know, actual scary things are scary. You can't just be like, ooh, lights are flickering and the doll is doing it somehow because demons. Wooga booga booga booga. Like, I've reached a point now where you have to try really... You... To go back to uh, The Exorcist, uh, which I covered in my Spooptacular from last year, The Exorcist works so perfectly as a horror movie because for the longest time, it's not acknowledging the supernatural. It's saying, well, something weird is going on, but we're not sure what it is. We, the audience, are already kind of are aware of the supernatural elements. But the people within the movie aren't aware of that yet. They're just assuming it's just something out of the ordinary. And as things go along, the more and more the people within the movie start to realize... And even, once again, within The Exorcist, even the priests acknowledge... The exorcism is really more of an archaic tradition. It's not meant to be a true thing. It was more of a... That's why they bring in actual psychologists to study the patient. Because they're aware that an exorcism is not going to actually solve a problem if it's just mental illness. The exorcist gets this so well... And every other movie that tries to be like that is like, oh no, spooky, scary thing, wooga pooga pooga. And I'm sick of it. I want more horror movies that do play out like The Exorcist, that are like, that go through all of the logical steps that people would take in that situation, and then it is still out of their control. Good horror movies are able to do that. You take the logical steps... And the things are still out of your control. That's what a good movie does. The Conjuring series of movies is not one of those. Um, so, yeah, like, I get, like, yeah, I'm not a big fan of this franchise, really, at all. And here's their second best movie, I guess. I mean, it's right up alongside that first Conjuring movie, even though it's still a bad horror movie. Now, the premise this time is, we're going... We're going back to her creation. It's another prequel. Apparently, that's going to be the new things. Instead of horror movie sequels, we're going to all go back to the origins of the scary thing. Cause we all know the Patton Oswalt bit about this one. Hey, do you like the spooky scary thing? Well, here's when it was a fir- here's before was established as a spooky scary thing. You want some ice cream? Here's a big bag of rock salt. Boom. There you go. Enjoy your ice cream uh, but this time around apparently the not only was this creepy doll always creepy like the movie version of the weird porcelain doll that is so that it was old, was outright designed to look creepy did not look like any actual por, like if you took a look at any porcelain doll any kind of porcelain doll that you could find at your local goodwill, or you know, secondhand thrift store, or in your parents' attic. You know, if you know traditional porcelain dolls, they look they look creepy because they're old, they're chipped, they're dusty, they've there's wear and tear on them. When they look new, they just look like dolls. They look like standard dolls. This doll apparently was in high demand, and it looked like it was the spawn of Satan. From the from design to execution. It looked like that, brand new. It looked like it did in that in these movies. So it always looked creepy. It didn't look creepy in ret- in retrospect because it was haunted. It was designed to be creepy. Why would any child want that? It's ugly look. Number one, it's ugly looking. Number two, it's it. it, 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 it they're trying so hard to to like, hey, fans of the movie, buy this. Specific-looking creepy doll. Ooh, show it off to your friends. And it never looked like something anybody would want to own, even in irony. No one, even ironically, would ever want to own that ugly piece-of-crap doll. Uh, But, yeah, so this time around, the doll's maker, the original designer of of this porcelain doll, was... Uh, had suffered from you know suffered and lo- suffered the loss of their child and eventually and, and about twelve years later, this is taking in some nebulous time period because they don't specifically say what years this takes place in. although by the time the kids show up for the orphanage, when they turn the house into an orphanage, they have a TV. So some nebulous amount of time took place in the intro section. Twelve years later, to the to where the kids move in, and then twelve years later to when there's the Charles Manson-style killing from the first uh, uh, Annabelle movie. This timeline is too. If you're gonna have a timeline, establish years. Give us dates. You can't go. You can't just jump around in time travel and not give us settings and dates, times. What year is it? What year? Is it? <laughs> um, so yeah, the parents lose their daughter. 12 years later, they turn their house into a, an orphanage, and there's a girl with suffering from polio who has her rock around with a crutch on her leg and somehow utilize a motorized staircase seat. Uh, like, oh, God, what's the thing from Gremlins? Uh... I forget what, it, what the, the, I guess it's just called a stair lift. There's the Ameriglide. Uh, I think that was the one from, uh, from gremlins. Uh, but how, how, like, were those around in the fifties? Did they have the means to incorporate a motorized stair lift into the how into this house? Like, how, how is that a thing? I don't remember any other 50s movies incorporating this stair- I don't remember the stair lift prior to the maybe the late 70s. Let me see something. Stair lift history. There's see people upstairs, yeah. Nineteen twenty, C.C. Crispin, the Pennsylvania entrepreneur, created a way to enable his ailing friend to travel from floor to floor. Was the designer a seat that would climb stairs- built the first prototype, called an Inclinator. Prior to this, Frederick Muffet of Royal Turnbridge Wells invented a patent an in invalid, an invalid chair with tramway for use on staircases. However, TV historian Dr. David Starkey has, in 2009, found evidence in a, in a list of possessions of King Henry VIII that attributes the first stairlift invented, for the, invented to the monarch the 30 stone king injured through jousting used a chair that was hauled up and downstairs on a block and tackle system. Okay, so then when, when did they first start coming to use? Like, apparently they've been around? Just... This Wikipedia article is not very well... That's the history. They don't go into the first, here's the first commercially available one. Here's the da da it, it more goes into the into how they work more than when they started becoming coming into popular use give me a year many users at the time were victims of polio 1930s okay okay apparently that's a thing that they managed to get right polio so people who suffered from polio had stair lists that we never were sh- that were never shown to us like nobody ever talked about the archaic pre-stair lift system it only really came into pop into common parlance during the 80s and 90s i don't know but either way it it, like whatever is going on in this movie even if it is historically accurate it doesn't make for a good movie it's it's boring for the most part it's flat there even The only known actor I know in in this one is Miranda Otto who is best known for playing uh, Eowyn in the Lord of the Rings franchise. And and let me pull up who all these other kids are. I see Annabelle 2 coming out. That's weird. Come on. We've got Stephanie Sigmund, Tabitha Bateman. You know, Anthony LaPaglia is apparently a name. But all these other actresses are no names. I've never heard of any of these people except for Miranda Otto. And then Anthony Anthony LaPaglia is known for Without a Trace and Empire Records. Yeah, I don't know this guy either, but he's doing his best Liam Neeson impersonation, that's for sure. So, yeah, I don't... I don't... There's not really any known actors, and most of them aren't all... Even the ones that I do know, Miranda Otto and this LaPeglia guy, they're not all that good. do not like they're doing anything of note here. It's... It's all very... Rote, like... The fact that it's a, the only thing going for it is that it's a period piece, the same way that, um, the same thing that that they did with, uh, Ouija, the Ouija prequel. Like, the, the, that's the other thing, too. I'm watching the trailer on the, on the IMDb page. Apparently it's all a group of white girls in their, in dresses, and then the one black girl in overalls. Looking like she crawled out of an Ash Osh-G- Bagosh commercial, you know. Weirdest, weird weirdest costuming choice I've ever seen. Like all these dresses, and then no dress for the black girl. She gets bib bib overalls. Uh, so yeah, Anipol Creation. I mean, I haven't really talked about the movie, but it, I I don't care. I genuinely do not care about this franchise. It's more laughable than scary so why why bother anymore like okay you're middling again instead of just instead of being terrible you're middling a for effort i guess whatever moving right along go get him boys i'm a weapon of mouse destruction drink up Fangy little rodents think they can stop me. Ah. This is gonna be fun. <laughs> oh. 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 Now, Meet my new friend, Mr. Fang. <laughs> he's so cute! That reminds me. Don't call him cute. Uh, I think this one came out when I was still doing stuff on a written blog, so I never really got the chance to talk about it, but... The Nut Job is an unwatchable piece of crap movie that I'm surprised ever got a theatrical release. It screams direct-to-video. It should not... Have been dumped out into theaters. And yet that's and that somehow didn't stop it from making money because it managed to get over a hundred million dollars and warranted a sequel. It somehow got a sequel, and here we are, the nut job two, nutty by nature. And no, nobody thinks OPP or even references it. I don't think there was a single Naughty by Nature reference in this whole movie, which means it's a total loss. Like, why? Why bring up Naughty by Nature? We know who they are. You can't just reference... That would be like referencing the Beatles and then never making one single reference to them. That would be like, Oh, hey, uh, something in the sky with diamonds. What does this have to do with the Beatles? What are you talking about? I didn't reference the Beatles. You did in and the, ti- the title of the movie makes a reference to a Beatles song. You can't just make a random reference and then have nothing to do with the entire movie. That's lazy and it's stupid. It means you are so creatively inept. You couldn't just... Why why, why even have the subtitle? The Nut Chop 2. How many people just do that? You don't need a subtitle with a, with a number. You can just have the number. If you're not going to do the number, that's when you do the subtitle. It's like the Marvel movies. When there's a number, you don't need it. When there's a sequel without a number, that's when you add the subtitle. That's when it makes sense. It differentiates it from the first movie. If you already have the number, we know it's not the first movie, you numbnuts! Uh, there's a reference for it. I'm surprised they haven't dropped that one in. But apparently, this is also supposed to take place in the 50s like the last movie did. Which I don't even remember taking place in the 50s. But here, this is supposed to be the 1950s, yet there's references to Steppenwolf and hip hop music in the soundtrack, yet no Naughty by Nature music, surprisingly. And all of this stuff that screams modern day, except for the dress code, you know, except for the people's dress code, all of it screams. It t- this takes place in the modern day. Why is this a period piece if you're... Even the microphones they use are the kinds of microphones that you would see nowadays. Why is this, why is this a period piece if you're not gonna treat it like a period piece? You lazy... Ah! So yeah, this time around, they've compl- they're in One of the mo- things I hate most in sequels, they've completely undone any progress from the last movie And took everybody back to the status quo. The status quo is God. And yet even... And yet all of that return to the status quo then leads them to go through a whole series of of emotions that just keep it at the status quo. Like, I'm sorry, this... Have some progression of character, of setting, of... Emotion, just just do something. Do something. If you're just going to keep it at the status quo, why should I keep watching? Why should I keep watching if nothing ever changes? (sighs) You know, it's one of the things going on. uh, I need to catch up on Rick and Morty. The one of the things going on this season is I'm worried they're going to revert back to the status quo and bring Jerry back. And just be like, oh, we went through all this. I mean, they're trying to go through some growth with the characters. But I worry that it's going to revert back to the first couple of seasons. Despite the fact that they went through this whole thing in the season premiere where there's an actual change in the status quo. And instead of continuing with that change, they're going to resort back to the status quo. Because the status quo is God. Anyway, uh, this time around, you've got the same bunch of jerks voicing these characters. You've got Will Arnett. uh, Gabriel Iglesias is wasted as a background character. Jeff Dunham's in there for some reason. Maya Rudolph is in her second (laughs) terrible animated kids movie of the year. So hopefully they paid her well. This time you've also got Bobby Moynihan, Bobby Cannavale... And Jackie Chan! Oh, oh boy. Oh boy, you guys. Hey guys, do you want to know how they introduced Jackie Chan in this movie? How much you want to bet that they introduced Jackie Chan with traditional Chinese instruments, including gongs? How much money you want to put down on that? Because guess what? That's what they did. They introduced... Jackie Chan in the Chinatown district of this 50s era city by introducing the tradition by using traditional Chinese instruments, the you know, those you know, those that same kind of instruments that you hear, and every stereotypical Asian and Chinese care you know, characterization, whenever you hear that in the background, when you hear that. Weird stringed instrument in the background, you know it uh, you know something has to do with China on the screen. Because apparently we've never progressed past the 1930s in our characterizations of Asians. Uh, why? Why even have Jack Do you know what do you wanna know? How much I wanna bet Jackie Chan is in this movie how you know on how long Jackie Chan is in this movie. How much you wanna bet? That he's barely a presence, despite the fact that he is all over the marketing. Yeah, because you know what? You're right. He is in three scenes total. The introduction scene, recruiting him to the cause scene, and then he's in the end. That's all that he's in the movie. You, you brought Jackie Chan in to, not, to play a non-character. He's a cameo in this movie. Maya Rudolph has more screen time than Jackie Chan. It's like they pulled him in off the street and he's like, yes, I'm on my coffee break. I'll record some lines for you. And the things they make him say, like, I have these cute... I have been cursed with this cute face and a fluffy body. It makes him sound like they wanted him specifically to sound like he's speaking English. They wanted him to make sure that we all know Jackie Chan's grasp of the English language is not the best. Let's not just let's let's not simplify his dialogue make him sound like a wizened master of kung fu which is apparently all Jackie Chan can play anymore between this and the Ninjago movie coming up. Let's not have him speak, you know, simple, you know, basic English words, things that anybody could say, No, you know, no matter what. Things that are phonetically, you know, corollary to what his natural speaking style is. Let's make him sound as stereotypical as possible. Let's make sure, hey... Everybody, we made a Chinese man say hard and complicated English words because we are terrible people. And I'm, I don't want to say that that's their intention. I don't want to say that the joke was supposed to be him speaking English. It's just... Why? Why? You're already making a stereotypical Asian character out of a tiny little white mouth. It's not even... Like, it's not even that they... Why are these characters Asian and knowing Kung Fu? None... Like, the only one that's actually voiced by an Asian person is Jackie Chan with the English accent, yet none of them are naturally Chinese in origin. Why? Why are they... Why are all sudden? Oh, because now they know Kung Fu? Oh, they're white and know Kung Fu. That makes them Asian now? This isn't Iron Fist! I still need to catch up on Marvel, too. Apparently I can skip Iron Fist, though, because that's that's basically that series in a nutshell. Oh, hey, I'm white and no kung fu. Guess I'm Asian now. <sighs> this movie is so terrible. There aren't... I never laughed once in this entire movie. This was more just spirit-breaking than the first one. The first one, I completely forgot. This one, I will not forget. I will not forget that a studio unleashed this on a public because this is garbage and nobody should have ever been subjected to this for over a dollar. This should have been given for free on Netflix with the other direct-to-video crap that they had to peddle. So yeah, big surprise. Nut Job 2, Nutty by Nature, is terrible. Big shock of shocks on that one. But I'm you, please, I would never let anything bad happen <laughs> to you, but I can't let you <laughs> cling to the side your whole life just because you're scared. It was your job to protect no. us. You have a right to be angry, I know you love him. You'll regret it if you don't come home. You ready? So, so you me. I am like you. And I'm glad. Well, this hit me right in the feels. So yeah, apparently August is now going to be the new starting point for the awards season's push. Uh okay, yeah, I mean like last week we had Detroit, now we've got the Glass Castle. It seems like they're gonna want to try and sprinkle these awards movies you know, further into the summer, so that, I don't know, i I very much confused by the spacing of these, uh, release dates, but, you know, needless to say, this was a good one. Uh, the basic premise here is it's loosely based. They left a lot of stuff out, I've come to realize. Like, I looked into the the actual memoir, and Wow, they streamed. They streamlined a lot of it because there's a whole bunch of stuff that from the memoirs that was never mentioned in the movie. But the basic premise is about Jeanette Walls, who is the um, daughter, uh, second oldest daughter of uh, Rex and Rosemary Hall Walls, and uh, Rex was uh, was a former pilot in the Air Force and he's a brilliant engineer but he suffers from a lot of um, psychological issues he suffers from probably some depression and there's uh, he, he's he's unable to finish a lot of the things that he starts he get he'll he'll lose jobs quickly he's an alcoholic and then the mom is an artist who despite butting head with Rex never really forces Rex to Kind of settle down, you know. She's all she's almost enabling him to continue in this somewhat, you know, destructive path that they're going down. I mean, as much as it's fun to be like, yeah, we're you know we're nomads, we're having fun, we're learning from the school of real life. That's not gonna, be, you know, I get and yeah, I get. You don't want your kids to continue to, um, add to the noise. Which uh one of the things he tells Jeanette because eventually because it cuts back and forth uh between nineteen eighty-nine and her and her various years growing up, so about like late sixties, early seventies. And Jeanette has since gone from you know, has gone from this kind of nomadic upbringing to a yuppie lifestyle, straight up yuppie lifestyle. That's all I could think was, oh great. She's living the yuppie lifestyle. Good for her. And she's a gossip columnist about to marry a financial analyst. And it's just so nice, you guys. Needless to say, she's the whole show has to come to the terms with the fact that yeah, as much as she's trying to get the opposite of her upbringing and avoid that at all costs, that's not who she is. She's not really happy. At her, current st- at her current state at that point and she had to come to come around to acknowledging that but yeah it cuts back and forth between Alison Brie as uh the as the adult J- uh, uh, Jeanette Woody Harrelson and old and younger Woody Harrelson and Naomi Watts as her parents and even you know even the other uh actors in this movie I didn't recognize a lot of other names but you know, all the actors playing the kids are good. All the actors playing her adult siblings are are solid. Even the guy, even the guy playing her uh, yuppie boyfriend is decent at at that. Um, Ella, you know, Ella Anderson Chandler head. Like I imagine, these kid actors are going on or will go on to do some other work after this because they're solid in this. Apparently. um... Max Greenfield uh was on New Girl. So he's a, you know, kind of a young, you know, young, uh young up and coming kind of actor, not exactly hitting his stride yet. Uh you've also got Josh Karras as the as her brother, Sarah Snook who is from Predestination, something I never heard of. Uh Steve Jobs playing Andrea Cunningham. And uh, the Beautiful Lie miniseries, whatever that is. So she's also kind of a not exactly a big name yet. And then you've got Bridget Lundy Payne as Jeanette's youngest sister. And that and she's from that atypical series that just hit Netflix. That's kind of the biggest thing that she's known about aside from this movie. And yeah, all, all the siblings actors, both old and young, are solid. Woody Harrelson. Is doing his damnedest. I mean, this is definitely an Oscar, or at least some kind of awards-worthy, you know, portrayal of this guy because they make. Because that's the thing. It'll it ensures that you understand that this guy is not perfect. He is trying to ensure this kind of vim and love of life in his children, and unfortunately, because he never really take, he's never really tackled these own. Problems within himself, he scares his children. He like Jeanette even makes him promise to give up alcohol, which he does, and they le- start living happily. And then he regresses and re- and returns to being an alcoholic, and that and there's that and Jeanette done very well by Allison Bree is kind of trying to because uh, Bree initially starts trying to be like the you know super above it all too good for this kind of you know the typical yuppie character and then as the movie goes on she starts to loosen up and she starts to realize yeah this is the part i can't take my parents out of my life and i can't continue to live this this lavish lifestyle that i become a become a part of because it's not what makes me happy and there are all these signs of it throughout the movie that you start to pick up on and, yeah, Brie is, once again, showcase it. No, not Alison Brie. Darn it, I, I messed up. Alison Bree is from Community. Brie Larson is the Academy Award-winning actress from Room. Future Captain Marvel, Brie Larson is Jeanette Walls. Can someone... Can one of them just change their name? Either Allison Brie goes by something else, or Brie Larson maybe goes by her middle... Somebody use a middle name, darn it. I keep confusing them. Doesn't help that they also kind of look. They kind of look similar. They look like they could be sisters. Where's that movie? Get Brie Larson and and Brie to play sisters. Um, and then Naomi Watts. What's right off following the success of? No, that was Nicole Kidman in Lion. I'm thinking of. What was Naomi Watts just in? Naomi Watts was just in something. She's on the Twin Peaks uh, book. Oh no, that's what she was just in. She was just in the book of Henry. Oh, oh. Oh. Well, thankfully she makes more than makes up for that with this movie. Because she, you know, she plays the typical artist. And if you look look at both, if you look because that's the night the real nice thing is the trailers play over documentary footage of of um and interviews with the real janet walls and her siblings and her parents and you get to you even get to hear the actual rex walls talk and it's you know yeah woody harrelson gives it his all to capture that kind of character um but uh if you look at the actual rosemary walls paintings that they show at the end the lady can the lady is good like it's it's almost sad that she never really was able to be successful as a painter because she's uh, she's got phenomenal skill and you almost wonder like well can we get her like something selling things at like thrift stores flea markets selling you know to selling in a local town something they're in her barn why are they in her barn they should be on people's walls these are amazing paintings I want I want a rosemary walls painting. Where do I buy one? How do I get one? I have to go, I have to send an email to Jeanette Twalls and ask, can I get, have one of your mom's paintings? Cause, cause it's good. Cause she's good and they're real good and I want one. Um, so yeah, uh, while Detroit kind of left me feeling like, like it was more commenting on the zeitgeist that's been going on, uh, you know, within the last couple years with, uh, you know, th- with clashes like at Ferguson and how the how the fact that we never really progressed past that point during the nineteen during the late sixties, post civil rights, where there were was that kind of violence and that kind of upheaval within you know within society within American society, especially within the inner city. Um, yeah, Detroit seemed to more re- replicate that. To remind people, hey, look how bad it was, and yeah, it is still bad. This isn't really promoting the discourse; it's more like reminding people, yes, we were terrible people, and we still haven't progressed past that. It, you know, it's, I'm especially recording this on Monday after the Charlottesville thing, so yeah, Detroit, uh, you know, definitely feels like it was made for today's headlines, but it never really like. It, like if like once again I still feel like you sh- we, sh- we need to I'll, if we want to keep making these kind of movies where it's like reminding people hey black people were always subjugated by our society how about we start making more stuff that promotes black people and people of color in in the same way that we de- treat white people you know like put more black actors and people in actors of color in things like you know things like big fantasy stories you know big budget productions Things that don't require some adherence to history, like why why are there more why aren't there more black actors in Game of Thrones? It's not like Westeros was a real place, you know. Anyway, um, yeah, so Detroit ne- didn't quite sit well with me. I had more fun with this. Not, well, not, I wouldn't call it fun. I was tearing up and crying by the end, but I ad- I admired this more. I felt like this was. And, and more touching, even though it's not perfect. It does kind of feel um what's the term? It feels like it does kind of feel hallmarky, you know, where it's almost like a facetious kind of touching. It does you know, some points do kind of feel like that. It feels like it's it's one of those people like, eh, I got your heartstrings, I got your heartstrings. But as the movie goes on, you almost give into it because it's God, her Janet Wall story, even the little bit that they touched on here, is incredible. Nothing quite like it. And I'm glad I saw even just this little glimpse of it, despite the fact that it's, that it's kind of standard as far as these kind of biopic movies go. But it's still a good story, and I feel like there could be more, you know, once again... We, you know, we need to hear more about... I want to know more about this woman and her life and her family. And I want a Rosemary Walls painting on my wall. Darn it. I want that. I need to make that happen. Before the end of my life, a Rosemary Walls will hang on my wall where it belongs. On a wall. Not in a barn. Anyway, uh... Yeah. The Glass Castle. Uh, somewhat cliched, although very touching story about the Walls family. And with the reviews out of the way, let's get into uh, the impromptu discussion, which, uh, after the break, is going to be The State of Cinema 2017. A a bunch of other people have been talking about this. Double Toasted did a thing about it. I think uh, Bob in Bob We Trust, that filmmaker, movie Bob, not filmmaker, movie critic, Um, I think movie Bob did a, a thing about the state of cinema in 2017. I might as well give my thoughts on how 2017 is compared given that it's my second year of full-on film criticism you know and a podcast form compared to when i started in 2012 and where we are right now so we'll be right back after this commercial break into every generation a slayer is born one girl in all the world a chosen one and alongside her are the watchers we are the watchers once More With Feeling is a 20th anniversary Buffy cast where we gather and watch episodes of Buffy discuss them and release it every Tuesday fur arg yeah. the go Everything I've heard from Kesha's new album, Rainbow, is that hot fire. You know, you gotta get on that. It's some of her best music ever. Like, this is great stuff coming from her. Uh, they even got a song about Godzilla. Not technically about Godzilla, but using Godzilla in reference to a terrible ex. Uh, anyway, um... So yeah, The State of Cinnamon, 2017. Um... If you, For those who aren't aware, uh, I tried doing movie reviews going all the way back to 2012. And in 2012, I started just after the Avengers premiered with a video about... where The video where I reviewed the Avengers uh, cartoon that was airing on Disney at the time. Avengers Age of Ultron. No, no, that's the movie. Uh, Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes, uh, which is... Probably the best Avengers cartoon I've ever seen. And then they get rid of it for Avengers Assemble. Which is like Spider-Man Unlimited in that it wants to be Family Guy. For kids. <sighs> I miss you Mightiest Avengers. You were such a good show. Anyway, this time around so yeah, I've been off and on reviewing films from 2012 all the way to the present. Sometime, I did have to take a break around 1415 just because I wasn't seeing movies as uh, I wasn't able to do it as a blog or make any videos of it and I didn't start doing the podcast until last year. So you know while I continue to see movies, I neglect I mostly neglected the review portions of it. but starting in 2012 and comparing it to now, well, I think twelve and fifteen were our best years. Oh, an overall film. Uh, then you know, twelve saw the Avengers. Uh, they also that also brought us Rick and Ralph, one of my favorite movies, as well as I'm trying to think like what are the big releases from 2012. But yeah, 2012 proved that the Marvel phase, you know, phase. Thing cinematic universe experiment was was working, and that it could be it could be successful. Um, Hunger Games premiered in two thousand twelve. Argo, uh, Django Unchained, for those who liked it. Looper and Cloud Atlas are well are well loved. Silver Linings Playbook, Moonrise Kingdom, Magic Mike, Twenty One Jump Street, Brave was solid. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, Lincoln. All right. Uh, Sinister came out that year, but, you know, we also got Battleship, Pitch Perfect, uh, The Dictator came out that year, Men in Black 3, Madagascar 3, Journey 2, That's My Boy, so, I mean, it was the Lorax, so, I mean, 2012 wasn't entirely perfect, but I feel like that one was a, was probably a a good year to start reviewing film. Uh, 2013 brought one of, another of my favorite movies, uh... Specific Rim, but eh, 10 of 13 compared to 12 was kind of a step down. Iron Man 3, uh, Man of Steel, Star Trek Into Darkness, uh, Thor the Dark World, uh, th- you know, the Hobbit movies continued, but you, know, you also get uh, Dallas Buyers Club, The World's End, Frozen, uh, what was the other one I just saw? Uh, Captain Phillips, Prisoners, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, 12 Years a Slave, excellent movie, even though, once again, continue the perpetuation of black characters on film being portrayed as lesser than. Um, but yeah, more, Monsters University, Despicable Me Too, We're the Millers, The Bling Ring, which I never got the chance to see, The Lone Ranger, The Conjuring premiered that year, White House Down, Olympus Has Fallen, Now You See Me, which is just, ugh, Texas Chainsaw 3D, Elysium, which was a terrible follow-up for uh, the for the director of District Nine. So yeah, um, not the best year for to for for movies. Uh, 14, 2014 gave us Guardians of the Galaxy, Lego Movie, um, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, Interstellar for some people, I guess, Edge of Tomorrow. It was excellent. Like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Nightcrawler, Whiplash, depending on who you ask. I personally can't stand Whiplash. Uh, 22 Jump Street. Um, and Big Hero 6 was excellent. Uh, try to think what else. Babadook people like. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon 2. Birdman. John Wick. Fault in Our Stars. Uh, so yeah, I mean, but, yeah, but I think 14 was... So 14 was kind of a step up from 13, but there was still a lot of, you know, bad stuff in it. Maleficent. Lucy. Or is it, uh, Battle of Five Armies, was wasn't great. Divergent premiered that year. Age of Extinction was that year. Uh, so yeah, um, twenty fourteen a bit of, it was an improvement over thirteen, but not quite as good as twelve. And that's why I think fifteen was probably the best year uh, for me as a as a critic because you got Mad Max Fury Road, Inside Out, Force Awakens, The Martian. The Revenant, Sicario, um, Cree came out that year. Let me come on, keep going. Uh, Mission Impossible, The Gift, one of my favorites. Uh, Compton, Ex Machina, Room. What else? Uh, and, uh, Beast of the Nation's premiered that year. Uh, one of my personal favorites. The Peanuts movie came out. Uh, and even though there's some, there's some you know not quite great ones. Black Mass, another excellent one. Uh, but yeah, Pixels. The Continued Divergence series, Pitch Perfect Two, The Maze Runner sequel, Fed Four Stick came out in 2015. But 2015 had more, like Anomalisa, Crimson Peak. I still need to see Crimson Peak, and I want to check out In the Heart of the Sea too. So yeah, 2015 was a big jump forward in quality. And then you go to last year, and I think it kind of stuck the course. And the last year brought us Utopia moonlight arrival rogue one deadpool Heller, high water uh kubo and the two strings the jungle book uh john favreau's the jungle book the nice guys uh let me see what else uh, i still need to see silence too edge of 17 one of the great one of the ne- next best coming of age movies fences um nocturnal animals was excellent you know, troll, you know, for the for the fans of Mabim Bam, Trolls uh, came out last year. Uh, so, I mean, 2016 was a nice kind of steadying. There's still some bad stuff in there. You've got stuff like X-Men Apocalypse, uh, Passengers, The Accountant for Me. Oh, God, Swiss Army Man came out last year. That was right. So, yeah. Then you've got Sausage Party, The Shallows, Sing. Um, There's another really bad one. I I saw it here somewhere. Oh god, that's right! Civil War came out last year. Suicide Squad and Batman v Superman came out last year. So I mean, it wasn't perfect, but there was an ex. There's an There's a nice steadying of quality between 15 and 16 that you don't really see from year to year. I mean, usually it's it's like I pointed out. There's ebbs and flows. Some years are better than others. Uh, so 2012, great year. 13, terrible year. 14? Solid year. 15? Great year. 16? Excellent year. You know, and then now... I think we're we're in an ebbing period right now. We're not in the best spot. We are getting good stuff still. We've got Guardians 2, War for the Planet of the Apes, Spider-Man, Wonder Woman, Logan. You know, we still have yet... You know, there's still stuff to come out. We need to see about Last Jedi and all these other things. Uh, Get Out came out this year. Kong. John Wick 2, Atomic Blonde. You know, but the, this was also the year that brought us the Emoji Movie, Valerian, uh, Baywatch, Ghost in the Shell, uh, Beauty and the Beast live action, Annabelle Creation, Alien Covenant, Transformers of the Last Knight, The Dark Tower. So, I mean, there's still... We're still... We're mostly halfway through the year, but I don't know if the good stuff really outweighs the bad stuff yet. We're still kind of figuring ourselves out. I think we might be... We're we're at a dipping period. Because I could tell you overall, most of the movies I've seen this year I've either forgotten or didn't like overall. Because I think my favorite ones... You know, my favorite ones have stood out. big Things like big, The Big Sick, the ones I mentioned previous... You know, Logan, War for the Planet of the Apes, Wonder Woman, and all that. Um, ba- uh, Baby Driver came out. But then you also got Pirates of the Caribbean 5, The Mummy, Despicable Me 3 uh king arthur uh kidnap the circle wasn't all that great uh rough night snatched so i mean i still need to see some of the more independent stuff stuff like a, a ghost story um i think that was the biggest one i haven't seen it that came out already but you know 2017 is better than 2013 but it's not quite as good as 15 or 16 overall. Because, I mean, I feel... It, you can kind of feel it. There, While there has been good stuff, it's never really good enough to trump the kind of bad stuff we've been getting as well. There seems to be an even match between the terrible things and the good things. And hopefully, maybe that'll carry over into... You know, once we start carrying over into the award season period, when we start getting more of the big drama, you know, actor showcase period, uh, pieces, things like, uh, and then you get the bigger stuff like Star Wars and hopefully Justice League will be watchable. You know, that's the best they can, you know, they've got Wonder Woman holding the candle for what the DC movies can be in terms of goodness. But eh, yeah, this year doesn't seem to be as good of a year for movies. You know, it's not, and, and that's the thing. Statistically, we're about, even if maybe a little less than t- than the last two years, we're not as bad as 2013. That was a terrible year for movies, but I think this year we you know it may be we may be more along the lines of 14, where you know it's not great, but the you know the, it's still got some good movies to come out of that year. So. As far as the year so far, we've got good stuff, but there's there's more. But the stuff that's not great has been either just middle of the road or downright unwatchable. So I mean that the, the middle the middling and the combined with the outright terrible has been all over this year. It seems to, you know, and there may be like a good movie every week or two, but there. but most of them, but sometimes you'll go a couple, like I said, I've gone a couple of weeks without a great movie or even a movie worthy of adding to any of my lists, the three lists I've got going. So I think overall 2017 was, it's not a bust. It's not a bust for a year yet, but I feel like we're inch. you know, if things don't pick up movie wise, and once again, we're in a doldrum period. We're in one of the, uh, Yo, slow periods. This is like the... August and January are the slow periods overall. So, things may be able to pick up. Let me double check what's coming out next couple of weeks. Uh, Starting in September, that Animal Crackers movie that somehow got made. There's a 9-11 movie. Great. It's coming out. Uh, Stephen King's it. Uh, Darren Aronofsky, who's apparently dating Jennifer Lawrence now, which I never realized... Uh, but their movie is coming out in Mother... MOTHER! With an exclamation point. Uh, American Assassin, Kingsman, The Golden Circle, Lego Ninjago was put to uh, September. Probably to differentiate it from the Emoji Movie. We don't want the stink of the Emoji Movie or the nut job anywhere near our movie. Um, what's this stronger? Pretty generic sounding title. Story of a working class Boston man whose iconic photo from the... Oh, okay, yeah. Once again, we're still... I really hope the Boston cuz thankfully 911 aside from maybe the um you know aside from United 93 and the World Trade Center uh movie that uh Oliver Stone tried to do 911 never seemed to be the go-to tragedy exploitation movie exploitation thing that uh a lot you know like things like movies about the Holocaust or movies about you know any of the any of the world wars seem to be always go for thankfully 9-11 is still not is still a, as touchy enough a touchy enough subject that there aren't exploitative i mean you you get you get stuff like um was it remember me the uh the stupid movie with uh robert pattinson and pierce brosnan where the twist of, at the end was that it, it was that the characters died in 9-11 uh and then you've got kind of the uh you know not quite as uh, touching as it thinks it is, movie uh, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. I never saw it. I just know that people were put off by the 9-11 uh, connection to it that wasn't necessary. Like, the father could have died literally any time else. He could have died in a car crash. He could have died in, an, in a different plane crash. But thankfully, thankfully, 9-11 hasn't seemed to have been that well of exploitative You know, emotional dramas that uh the Boston Marathon theme- seems to be going for now because I've been seeing more stuff about the Boston Marathon than I ever thought I would, and honestly i I, I feel like it's not nat- like oh isn't this such an inspiring story? There are plenty of other expi- inspiring stories that don't fall, you know feed off of people's tra- you know a national tragedy like that anyway, uh American May oh that one looks that's right this one looks good Uh, CIA uh, TWA pilot recruited by the CIA to provide reconnaissance uh, uh, from the Medellin cartel Uh, who is who's in this uh, give me a cast list Tom Cruise uh, Tom Cruise Domhole Gleason uh, Sarah Wright that uh, people I don't recognize off the top of my head Tom Cruise and Domhole Gleason seem to be the big names in that one uh, that one looks good. Um, Flatliners, remake of an old Joel Schumacher movie that I don't think was necessary. Sh- Shock of Shocks, that was from Sony Pictures. I wonder how good it's going to be. Uh, Blade Runner, Blade Runner's still coming out. Mountain Between Us. What I'm actually looking forward to, the My Little Pony movie. <laughs> uh, just just because the show is, uh, is of, of a certain quality that as far as kids go, My Little Pony may be the best animated movie of the year. I'm not even kidding with that. Like, the other other animated movies have been so bad that My Little Pony may be the best thing to come out of animation this year. Uh, The Foreigner, which is Jackie Chan's uh, Liam Neeson movie, you know, hits Jackie Chan's Taken. No Malone. No, no information on it. That's a good sign. Who knows if Liam even be there. Happy Death Day, meh. Marshall... Uh... claim victory... Thurgood... Okay, it's a Thurgood Marshall biopic. Uh... Starring Chadwick Boseman... As Thurgood Marshall. Okay, so we'll see how that's any good. Once again, that, now we're starting to see the... Now I mean, look... This is in October now. So we're starting to see more of... The... Pushes for dramatic... For the, for the dramatic. Although we do get Geostorm... Somehow in there. Geostorm is an August movie. Somehow it ended up in the middle of October. Um... Only the Brave, which is that firefighter movie. Same kind of different as me. Which international art dealer Ron Hall must befriend a dangerous homeless man in order to save his struggling marriage to his wife. Is this a Christian movie? I swear to God, if this is some kind of faith-based movie that they're trying to push on us from Paramount. Uh, The Snowman, which I don't know, could be good. Uh, Medea halloween 2 good great sure awesome uh something called the war with grandpa with robert de niro in it and christopher walken and uma thurman jane seymour cheech Marin, rob Riggle. huh interesting cast i have to check that out the jigsaw they're finally trying to bring back the saw movies uh suburban con which looks good that's um the coen brothers writing for george clooney and matt david is a is a suburbanite who goes crazy and starts attacking the mob uh the, thank you for your service, which is another thing about that's the other thing. We've been seeing a push in a lot of movies trying to it's, that seem to be trying to play off of the, the play off people's emotions towards veterans like miles Teller I think is a veteran in uh only the only the Brave, and he's a veteran in this like there seems to be a big push in trying to play make money off of people's you know love of the military and of veterans without actually doing anything of value with those stories like are those movies going to be donating to veterans cause like um causes like uh, uh wounded warriors or anything like that or is it gonna help to support change you know additional funding to the va or something like what are these movies going to do aside from line the pockets of these studios you know um that's why i i uh I dropped a vetsploitation when I saw the trailer this time around because it does feel like How is this helping veterans aside from you know aside from depicting their stories on film? Like that's great that you're telling their stories. How are you helping them by telling their stories? How much of your money? How much of the money that you're hoping to make off of them going to going back to them? You know, that's 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 what we got to start you know, looking at now with these kind of movies that try to play off of, you know, making money off of other people's tragedies. Uh, Bad Mom's Christmas, which I like the first one. I don't know why they're going straight to the Christmas special. Um, an LBJ movie with Woody Harrelson and Jennifer Jason Leigh. So, hey, he did a good job in the Glass Castle. I'll be, I'm will be, interested to see him as LBJ. for so Ragnarok, Daddy's Home 2, Murder on the Orient Express... Uh, Sony Pictures is doing a uh, animated nativity movie called The Star, which looks like a train wreck, uh, Justice League. Uh, one that looked at... It seems to be this generation's mask. If you remember Mask, it was a movie from the 80s where um, Eric Stoltz, I believe, uh, who, play, who was the original guy to, who was supposed to be playing uh, Marty McFly, put on uh, all of this makeup to look just grotesque, and Cher is his mom, and it was about the struggles of this actual person. Um, what's his name? Uh, Danny something, I think. Yeah, Eric Stoltz, Rocky Dennis. There it is, uh, Rocky Dennis, and the, he had some kind of deformity that caused um, him to look him to look unnatural. And it was about him overcoming people's prejudices held toward him. Wonder seems to be like that for this generation. Because the kid goes through similar... Uh, goes through all these different plastic surgeries. And he still comes out looking kind of off-putting. And... You've got Owen Wilson as his dad. You've got Julia Roberts as his mom. Mandy Patinkin's in this as a teacher. David Diggs is in this as another teacher. Um... And then it seems to be mostly child actors coming up, uh, so hopefully, like it, it, almost felt too once again Hallmarky, where it was too precious, and and trying to tell the story. But it could go either way. We'll have to wait and out to wait and see. That's out till out till November. Uh, Coco, which is basically Pixar doing the Book of Life, uh, Let It Snow which it, which doesn't seem to have a synopsis or a cast list for it. fantastic. Thank you the numbers. Uh, via Capri. once again, no synopsis, probably no cast list. So who knows if those will even be on the schedule by that time? Ferdinand, Star Wars episode 8, something called bastards, uh, which is. Uh, Ed Helms and Owen Wilson in some kind of raunchy comedy. J.K. Simmons, Terry Bradshaw as himself, Ving Rhames, Glenn Close, Harry Shearer. Uh, so who knows what what that's about? Um, downside downsized, which looks interesting. Uh, downsizing uh, rather. It's uh, from, the latest from uh, Alexander Payne, who just who's done The Descendants and Sideways, and one of the other things he's done. Um, uh, Nebraska, he directed. Cedar Rapids, he was a producer on. Uh, About Schmidt, Election, Citizen Ruth. So, I mean, this guy, you know, this is a very. This is an excellent director. And he's directing a movie where people are literally shrunk in order to pay them less, I guess, or to save money for the company. And then It's Matt Damon, Reese Witherspoon, Kristen Wiig, Christoph Waltz, Alec Baldwin, Jason Sudeikis, Neil Patrick Harris, Margot Martindale, like all these. Niecy Nash, Laura Dern, like this is an excellent cast. So I'm interested to see how that turns out. I got I got faith in Alexander Payne. Uh, Juma- the Jumanji sequel, Pitch Perfect three. Uh, oh, are they actually going to release Six Million Dollar Man? Uh, they've been trying to remake this for a while. Uh, they're trying to remake uh, the Six Million Dollar Man. Um, in the present, upping it up to a billion, and uh, apparently Mark Wahlberg is supposed to be playing Steve Austin. So we'll see if that comes out. Maybe that's being pushed next, pushed to next year. And then you've got, and then you finally got um, uh, one about Barnum, P.T. P- P- Barnum, with uh, Hugh Jackman in it. Uh, you've also got Zac Efron, Rebecca Ferguson, Michelle Williams, uh, Zendaya's in there as a uh, trapeze artist, I believe. Uh, but it's supposed to be some kind of feel-good story about P.T. Barnum, who is just kind of a show, you know, a showman and a con artist. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. So we still got some good stuff to look forward to at the end of the year. Like I said, you've got uh, downsizing. I'm looking forward to. You've got the Star War, the, the Star Wars Episode Eight. You've got um, Coco should be at least good. Hopefully. I mean, it's Pixar. I would hope they would make a good movie. Um, Thor Ragnarok looks interesting. Suburbicon I'm looking forward to. Uh, What else? We've got uh, The Foreigner hopefully will be fun. Uh, Blade Runner 2049, The Mountain Between Us, and My Little Pony. Uh, American Made, Kingsman, Lego Ninjago, American Assassin, Mother, and It. Yeah, so I mean, like I said, most most of the stuff that seems to be coming out during this year is kind of putting it more on the level of 2014. We aren't at the 2013, like, low point yet, thankfully. We're, st- we're still kind of at a decent click because we've got, the good stuff is that good. It's just, God, there's just so much, you know, middling some terrible stuff that seems to be coming out this year so this was in lieu of nothing else to talk about because what are we going to talk about prequels again you know i see more sequels animate terrible kids movies like what are we going to talk about so um yeah that's about it for this week uh so let's get into the trailer talk i don't think there's anything else on, we're still i think our fantasy film league is going to be on hold for a while we haven't heard from the guy so I think we're just gonna do, uh, just go right into the trailer talk and finish the episode. So next week we've only got two new releases: The Hitman's Bodyguard and Logan Lucky. So that's another thing. Logan Lucky. So we've got Steven, we got a Soderbergh movie coming out. So hopefully that'll pick up the year. And hopefully that'll make this August worthwhile. So here we go. The hit, first up, The Hitman's Bodyguard. This is Michael Price. I'm an executive protection agent. I've extracted my client. Clean up his I I love I hope this is my good. Call the bomb squad. Make it the fire department. Is that my car? I'm afraid so. <laughs> oh God, Ryan Randolph, I'm so glad you're back. One of the most dictators, where they keep to testify. I can assure you, we're more than glad. so <laughs> <laughs> for that assault? When Kincaid is dead, you'll be paid in full. Oh wait. Hold on. There's a safe house next to me. I have a job for you. The transport is in there. What the... 27 times. That's how many times it tried to kill me. 27... 28! I be safe from You won't last 1 hour without me. Tell us where your husband is. You lost my husband? You have any idea how stupid you are. Awesome, <laughs> oh, <Salma> Hayek. You're, <laughs> you're you're a treasure. each <laughs> other When things get hard <laughs> Bring protection. Go. Done? Okay, hunt on three, one. My You're bad. You're bad. The hitman's bodyguard. Well, 250. Easy. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's just that is a, that is amazing. And I double checked. Yes, that is Gary Oldman as the bad guy, as the dictator that they're trying to bring in to the Hague. <laughs> and uh, having Samuel L. Jackson testify against. Um, I mean I'm looking up the, the the credits for the for the movie, um, fire with Fire the guy's, is the writer's last movie, which is, seems to be a direct-to-video uh, uh, Bruce Willis movie. Bruce Willis, Josh Duhamel, and, and Rosario Dawson. Never heard of this thing, so it must have just been shoved out to, you know, DVDs somewhere and put in the bargain bin. So hopefully this, guy, this will prove that the guy's a decent writer. And then Patrick Hughes, who is directing, who directed... The Expendables 3, something called Red Hill, which I've never heard of, and a bunch of shorts. So this is a proving ground. Can these guys make a good movie together? We'll have to wait and see. I hope so. It looks good so far. If nothing else, it looks fun. That's what. That's, if, if nothing else, if you're going to be a good movie, be a fun movie, you know? I think that's why so many people like John Wick... And the sequel, and why I know, I know, I personally like Atomic Blonde because they're not the best written, they're not fine cinema, they're not you know some kind of art film, but they're just so well made and doing what they and presenting what they intended to present that it's just a good time, you know. Anyway, uh, and and this next one, the latest from Steven Soderbergh, one of my personal favorite directors, and every trailer I've seen for it, I'm excited. I'm super duper excited, can't wait. So here we go. Logan Lucky. Great soundtrack. Love that fuzz guitar. Jimmy just gonna say. Wait, is that the guy from the office? Not the office, oh, Parks and Rec. You were just fired. I was let go for liability reasons involving insurance. One-armed bartender. (laughs) You need to show a little respect. Charlotte Motor Speedway. I know how they move the money. The only guy who knows anything about blowing up real bank vaults is Joe Bang. (laughs) I am in car, sir. sir right <laughs> yeah, here yeah. oh daniel craig oh coca-cola 600 is the biggest race of the year we need a computer wheels. i know everything there's no about computers okay oh. all the twitters I know all of the twitters <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the coca-cola 600. Now, how many yards away is the vault 20 yards i don't know maybe 30. is it 20 or is it 30? We are dealing with science. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Two. Three. <laughs> <They don't laughs> Channing Tatum. Adam Driver. My life of crime is over. <laughs> <laughs> Seth MacFarlane. That is massively stupid. Riley Cole. It's been handled. Katie Holmes. Oh, this is gonna be good. Katherine Waterston. That looks like it hurt. Sebastian Stan. They're the Academy Award winner, no Hillary String. And introducing Daniel Craig! So no bacon. <laughs> <laughs> bacon? You Logans must be as simple-minded as people say. People say... <laughs> Logan Lucky. Would you give me my arm, please? Is it this one? (laughs) I I also, I I love jokes. I love jokes like that, you know, um, where it's like, and introducing this actor that everybody knows and loves, you know? I love little inside jokes like that, where it's like, hey, we're, you know, because that's usually introducing is for uh, an uppercut. Why am I explaining the joke to you? You get the joke. Anyway, um, Logan Lucky it looks like fu- it looks like the legitimately the poor man's Ocean's Eleven because while George Clooney, Matt Damon, and Brad Pitt were were robbing casinos, these guys are robbing a stock car race. You know, <laughs> these guys are essentially robbing the poor man's NASCAR. <laughs> these are n- uh, this is, this just seems like a lot of fun, and I love Soderbergh. He. Honestly, I need to go back over... I don't think there's been a terrible Soderbergh... Well, mm. uh, Also, that is Jerry from Parks and Rec as uh, the boss... as uh, Tatum's boss in the beginning. So, that's fun. Uh, but I'm trying to think. Like, maybe Ocean's 13 is his worst, and that it could easily have been a studio thing. Uh, but looking back over uh, his filmography... Come on. I love how the, the all-women's Ocean's movies, Ocean's 8, what is that, like a seven fifty to the dollar kind of comparison? Anyway, um... Come on, director. He's doing something about the Panama Papers, the Nick, uh side effects which i don't remember he did behind the candelabra haywire great movie haven't seen contagion the informant great movie haven't seen the girlfriend experience haven't seen the chase the good german i remember a bit um don't remember bubble i don't remember solaris uh but for the most part i think uh soderbergh has been on point as a director I mean, as best known as he is for the oceans movies, most of the stuff, most of his best stuff is aside from that. He, you know, traffic was a good one. Apparently, he did one about Kafka, uh, Sex Lies and Videotape. The one that put him on the map, Aaron Brockovich, Out of Sight, You've, uh, M- Magic Mind, K Wire. Uh, which one is Side Effects? Behind the Catalabra, You know, um, okay, Side Effects. I remember Side Effects a bit. Uh, it was a uh, a woman. Uh, a woman has, has these, you know, very dire side effects from a drug she's prescribed by, uh, I believe, Jude Law, and then you've got Rooney Mara, um, Channing Tatum's in there, and uh, who's the other woman? Catherine Zeta-Jones. That's who it is. Uh, so I, so yeah, I mean, I have to go back through the rest of his filmography. But Soderbergh Soderbergh is a guy I trust. And the other thing I thought was nice was he did an interview with, I believe, The Hollywood Reporter, where he wants to start taking the money out of Hollywood. He wants filmmakers to have a crowdsourced, independent means of financing their films. Like, Logan Lucky, uh, he did this beautiful roundabout way of doing it outside the studio system. Let me pull up the film. Production final film uh, initially wrote the script was given to Soderbergh. Oh, that's right. Uh, who's the woman who wrote the script? Uh, Rebecca Blunt. Let me pull her up. I think this is her first one. Rebecca Blunt. Yeah, this is her first uh, film, her first uh, screenwriting credit. So it looks good. It looks like fun. So uh, hopefully she gets to do more stuff. Nobody dresses nice. Nobody has nice stuff. They have no money. They have no technology. It's all rubber band <laughs> technology. Uh, at the time, Soderbergh was also theorizing a new distribution model and felt that the script gave him a perfect opportunity to do so. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. da 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 month. Uh, NASCAR would be collaborating on the film. Um... Doesn't say, but but like he was talking about it in the Hollywood Reporter where he wanted to do this independent distribution model because he kept getting screwed by the system in Hollywood, and now he wants to try and reinvent the system and do it outside of Hollywood. And I hope this proves well and it succeeds, because if it does, then it means that more movies can be made like that, and yes, because screw Hollywood and its BS system. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm definitely going to go support Logan Lucky. I think he should do out of principle because screw the system. Uh, aside from that, yeah, this weekend looks is looks to be the best weekend out of all, all of August. So, um, that about does it for this episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast or most likely listening to us through our homepage at GumbyCatsNetworks.com where you can find all sorts of other fine podcasts, including the one you heard during the commercial break. We've also got Dungeons & Dragons stuff. We've got the Ultimate Showdown podcast, where, you know, the hosts debate on who would win in a fight to the death. And, um, you know, Art I Swear, Phantom of the Podcast. We've got all kinds of stuff. Cultural commentary, comedy, games, what, if there's something you like, you'll probably find something a podcast dedicated to it on our site. So be sure to check out all the other fine podcasts we have at G-U-M-B-I-E CatNetworks.com. And aside from that, if you're listening to us through a third-party app or through Google or iTunes, be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review. And if you do it through iTunes, I can pick it up through um, and read it out on the air. So you want to help more people discover this podcast? Whatever service you use, be sure to write a review for it on that service and share it so that people know that that we exist. You know that we are here. We are here. To quote Horton, here is a who, the book, not the terrible movie. Um, and speaking of social media, you can also tag us on social media. Uh, Facebook.com/popcornjunkie is the as ho- the homepage for the podcast on social media. That's where I do all of the updates and all of the news relating to the podcast, as well as, you know, big announcements. That's where I announced my big move. That's where I'm going to announce any kind of new um, additions to the podcast and whatnot, as well as when I'm announcing new—when I'm seeing a new movie, when I'm going to be doing a munch-along, that sort of thing, and, you know, where you can share and get the new episodes as they come out. And then you can also follow us on uh, social media at uh, Twitter, rather— uh, by following at core junkie pod and there I try to keep it uh, mainly to movies and mainly interacting about movies because I mean yeah Twitter is a buzz with all sorts of topics and I try to keep myself away from anything that isn't that is that is outside the realm of this podcast which ultimately while I do infuse some of my own personal opinions on it, it is still mainly about the movies you know unless there's a movie being involved, I, there shouldn't be any real, you know, controversial stuff being discussed over on the Twitter. Uh, and if there's anything else you want to, you know, but I'm, but I'm also more active on Twitter, so if you want to get in contact with me directly, you can do so on the Twitter account, as well as, you know, converse with me whenever I'm talking about something. And then you can also you know, leave comments and share, send people to the Facebook page for more information. And if there's anything else you want me to know, any kind of feedback you want me to give, any, any kind, uh, you know, or to give, or you want to give me or any kind of messages you want me to relay, send all of those to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com and I'll either read it out on the podcast or send a message to you promptly. That about does it for this episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey. And I got me a boot. Yep. Stupid, busted up foot. M. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by the M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up Nafio.DeviantArt.com for more of his artwork. by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O.